Here's a few exciting scenes from tonight's episode of The Tom Gully Show. Every few years, noted, best-selling, critically acclaimed military combat historian and author Patrick K. O'Donnell comes onto the program to class up the joint. And this episode is no different. His latest book, The Tenth One, Washington's Immortals, details the heroic Revolutionary War story of one of the most important small unit engagements in American history, and a lot more than that, actually, as usual. Uh, welcome back to the show, Patrick K. O'Donnell. Thanks for having me on, Tom. The book is about Washington's Immortals, the Maryland Regiment and Delaware Regiments of the Continental Line. And their story begins about a year earlier in a tavern in Baltimore on a, on a snowy day in 1774, where, you know, the, the colonies are being roiled by British unrest. They blockade the port of Boston. They throw thousands of men out of work. The entire American economy is in tatters. They're being taxed to death. And men of family, fortune, and honor were the richest men in Baltimore decide to do something about it. And at this time, at the Stone House, one of the great, basically, episodes in American history that probably no one in your audience has heard about takes place that literally saves the United States. We wouldn't be on this, this radio show had it not been for their efforts. Right. And I found a rusted old sign that said, here lie 256 Continental soldiers. Somewhere in Brooklyn are buried the bodies of these men. And I became obsessed with the story. It's like, how in the world can we have scores of Americans that saved the United States somehow buried in a mass grave in Brooklyn, right in plain sight? And I wanted to know who they were. And Washington was witnessing this through his spyglass, and, he's, and, and Everhart was there seeing this. And um, the pension file was incredible. It, he said he saw... Washington with tears in his eyes as this thing was unfolding. When this group was formed, it wasn't like the United States had been around for, well, at all. <laughs> you know, it's not like today where if, if we're going to war, there's, you know, a, a, a structure behind us. We have a military. Everybody's coordinated. We've, you know, uh, invested in it for a couple centuries now. Uh, the, this was brand new and there were no guarantees when these guys got together, right? No guarantees. And, um, they also were effectively signing their death warrants because if you were, um, taking up arms against the British, you were, you were a British citizen, you were committing treason. The men of the Maryland line often led what was known as a forlorn hope. And this is in today's words, this would be a suicide squad. These were guys that had to break through the, the front line or the, of a British fortification. And a lot of times the fortifications involved something which was known as an atabus, which was a sharpened sticks and logs that would, that would go around the perimeter of a fort. But in order to break through this kind of 18th century barbed wire, they had to use axes. And the forlorn hope was not armed with anything other than they, they were just given axes and they had to cut through this thing and somehow brave like a hail of bullets from the defenders inside the fort or, and cannonballs and everything else. The Marylanders are always there. This core group of men, which begins in Baltimore, 1774, as the Baltimore Independent Cadets, they're the hardest of the hardcore. Everything 
they they believe they overcome they are resilient these are men that march 4000 miles around south carolina and north carolina they they sleep out in the in the open there's no tents there's they 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 survive the elements as well as the british army and they stick around against all of this adversity and they're not even paid in most cases but they hold the army together it's the small group of men that really do the impossible and i think that this in many ways is a story about the founding of the united states it's about who we are as americans this is you know american dna right here that's very very unique i don't think we have a real even remote understanding of what they were facing in terms of actual warfare and combat that we might have about Vietnam or about World War II. Washington's immortal starts with a mystery, the mystery of this mass grave. And what, where are they? Where are the bodies of these men? And it's, it's a national disgrace. The men that saved America are buried under a payment, you know, under a concrete slab somewhere in residential Brooklyn. There needs to be something done. All of your books take take that untold historical story, and then I really have to say they put you there in that time and place. Uh, the writing is incredible. Due to some violent content, parental discretion is advised. It's time, America. Mr. and Mrs. North of South American, all ships at sea, let's go to press. So sit back, buckle in, Place your tray table in its upright locked position and get ready for big time radio, friends. It's time for... Good evening. It is Wednesday, March 2nd, 2016, episode 248. I'm Tom Gully, and tonight on The Tom Gully Show, military historian and elite combat author Patrick K. O'Donnell has done it again. He's brought an untold story of American history to the forefront, and he's done it with his usual incredible storytelling skill. His latest book, Washington's Immortals, chronicles the never-before-told story of the Maryland regiments that saved the United States on the field of battle and whose final resting place remains a mystery. And uh, by the way, it's the editor's choice this month for history on Amazon. Uh, we're not messing around. Critically acclaimed author Patrick K. O'Donnell talks about his newest masterpiece, Washington's Immortals, the previously untold story of the Revolutionary War heroes that saved America, tonight on The Tom Gully Show.
before taking our usual trip to the green room, let's discuss three ways we can all help lengthen the war. Here they are. First, throw away all your extra equipment. Second, don't take care of the equipment and ordnance you have left. Third, waste your field rations. Only eat the parts you like. Well, that's only three ways. But if each and every man and woman in the service indulged in just those three consistently, V-Day would be a far cry indeed. Of course, no, one's, no one would act like that on purpose, but unfortunately, we all tend to treat GI materiel a little bit like a stepsister. And when you multiply your callousness and wastage a million or more times, it's no longer funny. So let's not help lengthen the war. Let's shorten it by conserving everything we have. You're listening to The Tom Gully Show. Shazam! Just send an email to tom at thetomgullyshow.com. Every few years, noted, best-selling, critically acclaimed military combat historian and author Patrick K. O'Donnell comes onto the program to class up the joint. And this episode is no different. His latest book, The Tenth One, Washington's Immortals, details the heroic Revolutionary War story of one of the most important small unit engagements in American history, and a lot more than that, actually, as usual. Uh, welcome back to the show, Patrick K. O'Donnell. Thanks for having me on, Tom. Hey, any time that you're doing anything, you can be on this show. Uh, you, we could talk for a year about this book, as like all your books. And one of the hallmarks of a Patrick K. O'Donnell book isn't just the quality and the extensiveness of the research. It's also your stuff is, you know, stories that are largely untold. Uh, how did you come upon the story of Washington's Immortals? This is the untold story of of the American <laughs> Revolution, maybe of America. Um, I came upon the story in 2010 when a good friend of mine, who was the commanding officer of the Third Battalion, First Marines, who I was with in the Battle of Fallujah, was assigned to New York City, and he asked me. I was up there at the time also, and he's like. Pat, would you like to go to the Met and just hang out? You know, have a beer later and all that stuff. I'm like, you know, sure, let's hang out, but let's do something different. How about a tour of the Battle of Brooklyn? And I did a little research, and I, I met him at a place called Greenwood Cemetery. And Greenwood Cemetery, you know, I'm not really into cemeteries. I don't think many people are. But right. This place is beyond interesting and compelling and cool. It's where most of New York's finest or in most illustrious also notorious citizens like boss tweed are buried but in 1776 the cemetery wasn't there but battle hill was and this is the start of the largest battle of brooklyn which starts outside of the gates the now gates of greenwood cemetery at a place called the red lion inn and the red lion inn it's kind of interesting it had this 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 rock outside the the inn that had the quote the devil's hoof mark it was implanted in the rock, <laughs> but the other tourist attraction with the Red Lion Inn was the large watermelon patch in the backyard, and everybody you know that wanted that. And during the the 1776 Battle of Brooklyn, the watermelon patch was where both armies kind of stumbled upon each other in the night. They were both trying to forage for for food and. 
they stumble upon each other at the watermelon patch, and that sparks, that's the beginning of the battle, which unfolds right outside of Greenwood Cemetery. And what happens is really one of the most compelling stories of the American Revolution. The, um, the book is about Washington's immortals, the Maryland Regiment and Delaware Regiments of the Continental Line. And their story begins about a year earlier in a tavern in Baltimore on a, on a snowy day in 1774 where, you know, the, the colonies are being roiled by British unrest. They blockade the port of Boston. They throw thousands of men out of work. The entire American economy is in tatters. They're being taxed to death. And men of family, fortune, and honor, who are the richest men in Baltimore, decide to do something about it. And they form something known as the Baltimore Independent Cadets. And this guy named Mordecai Guest, who's an extremely wealthy merchant, bands these men together, and they form this independent company. And the, the company sort of involves many of the most leading citizens of, of, of Baltimore, uh, including a guy named Samuel Smith, who later saves Baltimore in the War of 1812, as well as other wealthy merchants and artisans and tradesmen. And it grows from a single company into a regiment of men known as Smallwood's Battalion. And they are, they are the, one of the finest equipped units in the colonies of the time, and they march off to war. And if you, go, if you fast forward about a year from there into the summer of 1776, August exactly, the British are landing in and around New York. They land first at Stanton Island, and they take that... And then they land at a place called Gravesend Bay, which is in Brooklyn or Long Island. Mm -hmm. And pretty much the only thing that stands between them is, is Mordecai Gist and his band of brothers, along with about 2,000 other Americans. And then behind them are, is a large portion, about half the American army in, in entrenchments in Brooklyn. And that morning of August 27th, Mordecai Gist is woken to the sound of the guns and they rush from their, their headquarters, which is a, in a stone house, about a mile to Greenwood Cemetery. And they, they fight on a place called Battle Hill. And what's going on is it's sort of a little complex, but the, the, the battle that they're fighting is sort of what's known as a demonstration to pin down most of the American army. Well, Lord Cornwallis and Clinton... Or Lord Cornwallis, uh, Sir Henry Clinton, and, and Lord Howe make a flanking maneuver that basically surrounds the entire army. And what happens is Gist and his men are battling on top of this hill. It's kind of wild. They, you know, they, the British fire cannon at them, and one of the accounts has one of the men loses, you know, they lose a head or two because cannonballs just go right through. Right. They don't stop at anything. You, 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 it'll take whatever, whatever, it's a solid shot. It just takes pretty much whatever is in its way out. It's this brute mass and force. It's, it's going <laughs> to obliterate anything in front of it. Even if it was on the ground rolling, you know, oh, it's like, yeah. don't put your foot out because it's going to go. Right. right. <laughs> and um, the, the force is kind of pinning these guys down. And meanwhile, 
the Gist and his men are being surrounded, and they have to. They they realize that they're they're being flanked, and they they have to fight back towards the stone house. And it's you know it's pretty compelling. They um they they come upon a British party of a company of British regulars, and they decide it, they look like they're surrendering. They put their muskets down uh, towards the ground in a uh, an effort to surrender but it's all a ruse and as they go towards the men to these british soldiers to take their surrender the british open up on them and they take they lose several men that way but they keep fighting back towards the stone house and at this time at the stone house one of the great basically episodes in american history that probably no one in your audience has heard about takes place that literally saves the United States. We wouldn't be on this this radio show had it not been for their efforts. Right. They they what they do is Cornwallis kind of flanks around the back, and the entire American army is about to be encircled. And Gist and his men launch a series of bayonet charges on the house, which is now occupied by Cornwallis and his men. And it occupies the British army, and it opens up a hole in the British lines where a large portion of the army is, escapes back towards the entrenchments. But most importantly, it ties up the British. And it, it ties them up for several hours. And during this time, the British army is not able to unite its two wings. And we're talking 20,000 men in the British army at this time. It's, a, it's an enormous amount of, of people when you can, you know, you look at the, the population in New York City, which at the time was probably double that. So it's an enormous um, number of men that are coming that are coming down upon them. And they're like the immortal Spartans. They're 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 basically charging into this house and they're distracting the British and, and they almost basically dislodge Cornwallis from the house. But they're allowed to the the, the army escapes, but in the process the men of the Maryland line are nearly annihilated and Gist and his, and about eight men or nine men escape back towards the entrenchments. And what's, what's compelling about it is somewhere in that house or around the house or a few blocks away are the body, the bodies of these men. It's a mystery to this day, exactly where they're buried, but a lot of documents and in books of the time, as well as, um, you know, other evidence point to the fact that they're buried a few blocks away from the house in a mass grave. And I found the sign when I was, after, you know, doing this tour, we went up and down the hills of near Greenwood Cemetery, and then we went through sort of the alleys and streets of Brooklyn, and I found a rusted old sign that said, here lie 256 Continental soldiers. Somewhere in Brooklyn are buried the bodies of these men. And I became obsessed with the story. It's like, how in the world can we have scores of Americans that saved the United States somehow buried in a mass grave in Brooklyn, right in plain sight? And I wanted to know who they were. And this book covers their not only their story in Brooklyn, but the entire American Revolution. Eight years of war where these men were in every epic battle. Um, after Long Island and the Battle of Brooklyn, you know, the Battle of 
of Trenton and Princeton, the uh, Battle of Germantown, and then they, they fought throughout the entire North as well as the South at places like Cowpens mm-hmm. and Guilford Courthouse. It's, it's an amazing story of endurance. And many of these men marched 4,000 miles barefoot without any food or pay for large periods of time. And then they had to fight the, at the time, one of the most adaptable and finest armies in the world, the British army. Not to mention some of their fellow countrymen that were still loyal. Uh, But can you talk about the research? Because this is really a revolutionary war sort of band of brothers. I'm not the first person to say that. How did you find the information that allowed you to, yes, cover the historical aspects of the Maryland regiments, but also those, I mean, it's, really personal stories and accounts of the lives of these men. This is, this is the most complex and difficult book that I've ever had the pleasure of writing. And when I first proposed the book to my, my former publisher, they said it couldn't be written. They said it was impossible. There weren't enough um, accounts out there. There weren't enough, there wasn't enough material. The story was completely untold. And and this happened several times where so-called experts said it was an impossible book to write. And just there were times enough. when I was, I even questioned whether or not I could pull this one out. <laughs> <laughs> but because it was, it was like, there really, there's never been until this book, a band of brothers on the American revolution and it's also the first book that sort of really personalizes the men that were on the sharp end of the fighting during the revolution. This is the sort of privates and corporals and, and sergeants, as well as the officers who fought, too, of the war in their own words. And the places that I found this, it was very unique. It was all over the world. I, I combed like the archives in Kew Gardens, which is in the United, United Kingdom, as well as you know, up and down the East Coast in various places like the the New York Historical Society, Maryland Historical Society, etc. But the bumper crop of stuff um, came from what's known as pension files. And if you were lucky enough to somehow survive the revolution in the 1820s or 30s, the United States government gave you a pension if you could prove that you were practically you were indigent you didn't have much you know many assets or wealth and the men that that fought this war many of them were bankrupt or penniless at that time that survived and what they did is they would have to go down to the local courthouse and swear under oath what they did and saw and these sources have never been tapped for the most part and and or published and i found some of the most amazing things in there um let me give you one example a guy by the name of lawrence everhart who was who was a marylander that had fought in the maryland line but as i said earlier the book spans the entire american revolution and one uh, place that they fought was a place called fort washington if you know where the gw bridge is at in new york city Near the, 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 the New York side of that bridge, New York City side of that bridge, near where the kind of the bridge meets land, not far from there was a massive mile and a half long fort known as Fort Washington. And it was manned by 
over 3,500 Continental soldiers, including Everhart, and about 200 cannon, brass and iron cannon. This thing was bristling, a bristling defense, and they thought it was sort of impregnable. But the British Army um, proved them wrong, and, and, and basically was one of the great defeats in American history. And Everhart is like the ultimate escape artist from this place. He's one of the few men that gets out, and he found, found a rowboat. And he rode away across the river to Fort Lee. And on the other side of the river was Washington watching the fort fall. And he saw, you know, his men get, get slaughtered. The, the, the Hessian soldiers and British soldiers that, that took the fort slaughtered many of the, uh, the, the, the defenders of the fort. And they, they made them run through a gauntlet. And what I mean by that is they put British soldiers on either side of a, on a, of a line and they made the prisoners run through the gauntlet when they were, and they were then kicked and punched and beaten and their, their possessions, whatever they had, were stolen as they went through this gauntlet. The guys that made it, you know, were bloodied and bruised. Some were even killed. And Washington was witnessing this through his spyglass and, and, and Everhart was there seeing this and um the pension file was incredible it's, he said he saw washington with tears in his eyes as this thing was unfolding and those are the the accounts that bring a human face to this book and in the humanity um to the to a war that most people you know they did their concept of the american revolution comes from you know grade school they're grade school textbooks, and right, it's just a right. bunch of oil paintings and stuff like that of, of uh, you know, the founding fathers. It doesn't really get into the complexities and harshness and brutality of a long war that was very messy and the one we didn't even, we almost lost on multiple, multiple occasions. Uh, can you talk about the the fact that, you know, when this group was formed, it wasn't like the United States had been around for well, at all, <laughs> you know, it's not like today where if, if we're going to war, there's, you know, a, a, a structure behind us. We have a military. Everybody's coordinated. We've, you know, uh, invested in it for a couple centuries now. Uh, the, this was brand new and there were no guarantees when these guys got together, right? No guarantees, and um, they also were effectively signing their death warrants because if you were um, taking up arms against the British, you were a, you were a British citizen. You were committing treason, and uh, an Irish judge earlier, when they put down an Irish insurrection that took place, the, oh by the way, the Crown had never lost a, <laughs> an insurrection, so you're, you're going up against guys that um, they didn't lose. And they took things pretty harshly. They were pretty much branded like terrorists. Um, you were uh, there was one account that I found where a British, uh, you know, a British citizen that fought in this Irish rebellion was was handed down a judgment, and they were drawn and quartered and killed. Wow. That was the that was the punishment, and it was not. You know, each one of these guys was considered, it was considered treason. They could lose all their assets. They could lose their lives. They could be hung if they were captured. And then what they did, it was pretty remarkable. They signed a contract uh, that they would be, they would fight together and that they would fight. Um, they were men of, of, um, of family, fortune, and honor. And they would, they would basically find 
They would equip themselves with the finest weapons and, and uniforms that money could buy, which they did, and they trained themselves. They learned how to, to fight without anybody telling them uh, how to fight. And then what you find is quite remarkable in terms of, it's another aspect of this book. This, this was a, um, a way, an American way of war, which begins, you know, many years earlier in the French and Indian war, but it's, it evolves in the revolution. It's everything from, from fighting behind obstructions and obstacles to using intelligence to, 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 to taking European style war, which is men in, in, in um, formations, etc., and modifying that to suit the constraints that they had, which were many of the men were untrained. There were militia guys. There was, there was also these men, which were hardcore. They were, they were uh, known as continentals. They were paid by the continent. They were professional. They, they became professional soldiers. Right. Well. Now your book also talks about, uh, early on in American history, there was a policy of humanity uh, in stark contrast uh, to that of the British. In other words, if, if an American was captured by the British, they had a, a, an extremely different experience than a British soldier captured by Americans. I think that was the most amazing thing about my research that I found, that um, even though our men were 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 subjected to massive atrocities by the British. They were, in many cases, like at Fort Washington, they were slaughtered just outright, or they were thrown again in through the gauntlet, or put on hell ships where men, which was like a floating concentration camp, effectively, where men were starved to death. You know, 18,000 Americans may have died on the ships alone. Just think about that figure right there. Wow. Um, starved and beaten to death, and then in some cases even poisoned. But there was this overwhelming urge to sort of take the um, the approach of the enemy, the British, and how harsh they treated treated our soldiers, and sort of you know fight fire with fire. But instead, something else happened. The ideals of the American Revolution, pretty much, you know. Uh, which was revolutionary at the time. This was the most revolutionary revolution in human history it transcended the the you know the talk of the 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 founding fathers and also it 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 came into effect on the battlefield itself where the way that we treated prisoners was the spirit of humanity people they they took prisoners they treated them well for the most part and and you you have an amazing thing happen many of these um former the, the the british or hessian soldiers that fought against our guys would would actually change sides in some cases. Um, and that happens many times during the war. But the policy of humanity, which was John Adams's policy, was to treat people you know, decently. And that was a, um, these are important sort of ideals as Americans and principles that were founded during the revolution that you know, have a, lot, a great deal of importance even to this day. Well, the, uh, the book doesn't just cover the tactics and the military angles there's actually some love stories in this book um john edgar howard and peggy chu <laughs> i think it's probably like my my favorite love story if you will 
and John Eager Howard is this sort of dashing and charismatic lieutenant colonel. He rises to the rank of lieutenant colonel in the Maryland line, and he he begins the story in 1775 in Baltimore City. He's a he's a he's a scion of of the the well one of the wealthiest men in the city. And the man has a charisma, though. He raises, like many of the officers in the Maryland line, they raise their own men. Um, they, in other words, they go out into the city and they form their own company based on who they know, and they recruit. And, and Howard did it in 24 hours. That's how popular he was. Wow. He raised his own company, and men followed him. And he was just this incredible you know, just a great leader. And he was also a very brilliant guy. And, you know, he was sort of a dashing figure. And he courted uh, a woman by the name of Peggy Chu. And and Howard sort of comes in contact with the Chus at the Battle of Germantown, where he's almost killed <laughs> outside <laughs> of their house. The Chu house is... This this is this place is really interesting. It's right outside of Philadelphia in Germantown, and the house is a massive granite house that's a mansion. And during um, the Battle of Germantown in 1777, the house became a fortress. The British, as they were being attacked by Washington and the Marylanders, um, were overwhelmed in the morning of in that morning of the battle. And they fled. Many of the uh, um, a regiment of men of you know several hundred men fled into the house, and they turned it into a fort. And they fired from the windows. And this place could not be taken. I mean, cannonballs literally bounced off the wall of the granite. It was it was such a stout house, and literally the bodies were piling up. And, and Howard was nearly um, was nearly killed um, operating outside the house. But in the house were was Justice Chu, who was a loyalist, and his beautiful daughters, including Peggy, who was this brilliant woman and very charismatic. And it's quite interesting. She she liked to sort of play both sides of the field. She was she courted not only Americans but also the British, who occupied Philadelphia at the time. And her main heartthrob was a guy by the name of John Andre, who was in charge of of effectively Britain's spy services. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Andre, she courts Andre for a while and, and everything is going well according, you know, for her. And what happens is Andre, this is in the book also, Andre is the guy that the liaison for Benedict Arnold and <laughs> to bring Benedict Arnold into the British fold. And as everybody knows, Benedict Arnold was a traitor, but you know, most people don't realize he was also an incredible hero. He was also an amazing yeah. revolutionary war general that won the Battle of Saratoga. And just he was an excellent general. And he had a number of grievances and changed sides, which the book goes into in depth. But anyways, Chu's heartthrob is removed because Andre is captured uh, along the time around the time that they they try to bring in uh, the British uh, bring in Benedict Arnold and he's captured and he's hung. So with Andre out of the way, she pursues John Eager Howard, <laughs> and um, they they write love letters um, back and forth as he's battling throughout the South, and uh, 
sort of the the turning point for for her and all of her suitors and everything else. Uh, they 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 go away after um, Howard is wounded. He's shot in the collarbone in the south at a place called Utah Springs, and this is outside of Charleston, and it's one of the the the, the um, it's a major battle during the the war in the south and what happens is she writes letters and she sort of quote capitulates and um she runs to his his aid uh, after he's brought up north to baltimore to recover from his wounds and then they're married and they have an incredible uh love affair and they're married in marriage um where it's just an epic one and and they have it's quite interesting he builds this magnificent mansion in baltimore called belvedere and belvedere you know is this there on on saturday night belvedere is no longer there but it's now a hotel called the belvedere hotel and there's a really great bar called the owl bar which was built in the 1920s and it was a speakeasy and everything else and uh it's just it's it's an interesting place now, uh, another interesting thing, given uh, the strife that's been in Baltimore uh, in the news in the last uh, year or two, uh, this was a racially integrated regiment. It was. It was not a... Um, this was, you know, most people don't realize that the American Revolution was... The, it, it involved uh, racially integrated units. There were free black men that served side by side with men like G John Eager Howard. Uh, between seven to nine percent of the Maryland regiments that fought during the war were, were African Americans. And these men were incredible heroes. I, I chronicle one guy named Thomas Carney, who was through the entire war. And the book is, is not only about just the battles and stuff, it's, it's about sort of the brotherhood and fellowship that these men form and that that lasted decades and thomas carney was in the thick of everything um all these major battles and I, I found one account where the men of the maryland line often led what was known as a forlorn hope and this is in today's words this would be a suicide squad these were guys that had to break through the the front line or the, of a british fortification and a lot of times the fortifications involved something which was known as an atabus, which was a sharpened sticks and logs that would that would go around the perimeter of a fort. But in order to break through this kind of 18th century barbed wire, they had to use axes. And the forlorn hope was not armed with anything other than they, they were just given axes. And they had to cut through this thing and somehow brave like a hail of bullets from the defenders inside the fort or, and cannonballs and everything else. And the forlorn hope involved Thomas Kearney on several occasions. And he saved um, Captain Benson and, you know, was shot in the head at a place called 96 in the south near, near Augusta, Georgia. And... Um, he, he carried him off the battlefield and that friendship lasted a lifetime and Carney and Benson were best of friends long after the war. And even when Lafayette came to, to the United States, Benson was there to greet him along with Carney. Wow. Uh, well, what, what other things made the Maryland regiment special as a fighting force as an elite 
fighting force, I mean, tactically or or what made them different than just the regular issue troops of the day? A lot of things made them really different. It was their training at the beginning, which was pretty rigorous. The, their, equip, their equipment. Um, this is a, a time in, in American history where, you know, they weren't, everybody wasn't outfitted with the best that, best stuff. I mean, these guys uniquely, though, had bayonets, which at the time was was a big deal. They could they could take on um, a British bayonet charge or execute one themselves. Many of the the men in seventeen the boys of seventeen seventy six around the country they they were lucky if they just had their musket above mm-hmm. the fireplace. If that uh, these guys were were well equipped with bayonets, um, a good musket as well as cartridge boxes, etc. And then they trained. And they were, what, what, what I found interesting about the unit is, as the war goes on, the Marylanders are always there. This core group of men, which begins in Baltimore, 1774, as the Baltimore Independent Cadets, they're the hardest of the hardcore. Everything they, they believe, they overcome. They are resilient. These are men that march 4,000 miles around South Carolina and North Carolina. They, they sleep out in the, in the open. There's no tents. There's, they, they, they survive the elements as well as the British Army, and they stick around against all of this adversity, and they're not even paid in most cases, but they hold the army together. It's the small group of men that really do the impossible. And I think that this in many ways is a story about the founding of the United States. It's about who we are as Americans. This is, you know, American DNA right here. That's very, very unique. We're not from Denmark. You know, we're not trying to be like a global, um, you know, of the world. We're Americans. And these guys, this is sort of the, the, the foundation of it in many ways. They're, they're entrepreneurs in some cases. They're, they, they believe in what in their cause and what they're doing. And I think that that makes them you know incredibly unique, and that's why the book is important too. Well, and these guys, I mean, you, you said it, they are putting their life on the line when they're doing this because uh, of the nature of the warfare at the time. Uh, you mentioned the forlorn hope. Is there, is there anything else about you know, what they were actually viscerally facing, because you mentioned it earlier, we get the grade school sort of version, uh, you know, maybe an episode of Daniel Boone once in a while. And other than that, I mean, we don't, I, I don't think we have a real, even remote understanding of what they were facing in terms of actual warfare and combat that we might have about Vietnam or about World War II. These guys believed in their cause and and they they held things together and, and and the thing is I shouldn't oversimplify because you have a hard group hardened group of small group of men who at the right time at the right place make the difference between victory and defeat but intermixed in that you've got a lot of people that betray the clause too they um they give up and they, they side with the British in some cases, or they just desert. 
and that's but it's like this small it's small group of men now and women in some cases can make the can make all the difference because they believe right well and the women traveled with them they did in many cases um like uh, one of our our principal characters is a guy by the name of nathaniel ramsey and ramsey's this lawyer but he's also a politician before the war and an ardent believer in the cause and his wife travels with them the whole time and she they have a wagon and um they they, they load their possessions in the wagon and then they they she she walks or, or rides with the army as they go to places i mean they're known as camp followers and these women um were nurses in many cases they did the cooking and the cleaning and then they held the men together and in the case of mrs ramsey she was also kind of the social life for many of the officers wherever she went they would gather around her quarters and the men would the officers in particular would have sort of it would be the social life of the regiment and um one of the most compelling stories is in in the battle of monmouth where the, the marylanders once again play a pivotal role the the monmouth is a, a battle where um after the after the british evacuate philadelphia they somehow have to get back to new york city so they march most of their army um, overland into New Jersey. And in a place called Mammoth Courthouse, Washington decides, in its current day freehold, Washington decides to basically attack the rear portion of the, of the British army as they're escaping. And the British are, are wise to this. They, they put some of their best units in the back uh, just for this type of contingency. And um, as as they charge, as the Americans charge into these guys, things start to go horribly wrong. They they run into sort of a, a, a strong or a much stronger force than they expected, and they're pushed back. And Charles Lee, who's the general officer at the time, who had been in British captivity. I mean, all the major figures in the American Revolution are covered in Washington's Immortals. This book is is a book about the entire war and it also covers the major figures on both sides and charles lee is facing down uh sir henry henry clinton at this time and um cornwallis and the army is collapsing and and ramsey is thrust into the vortex and basically checks the british advance long enough for for washington to bring up his the regular more of the marylanders and other regular troops but in this sort of melee, it's something really—it's a one-on-one -on -one fight with the, the, his British counterpart, and they're on horse, and they get into a sword fight, and uh, Ramsey is 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 unhorsed and uh, is about to be killed um, by his uh, English counterpart, and according to legend, he shows his ring, which is a—it's um, <laughs> a—it's a Masonic ring. And both the Freemasons were a powerful force on both sides of the Atlantic. And according to legend, his life is spared. And what, what's interesting is that um, captivity for officers was often different than captivity for the enlisted men in the, in, the, in the American Revolution. If you were an officer of means, you could basically pay for your own imprisonment. And what happened is Ramsey and his wife 
who she she's so faithful she goes into captivity with him into new york city and they buy a mansion and um they basically live the war out in new york city in a mansion (laughs) (laughs) that's a good way to do it now and and it's like the, the the stark contrast though between this and the hell ship and the hell ship is striking um and and it, it, it wasn't all officers that had that privilege. If you had the money, you could basically buy your own imprisonment, and uh, it could be quite gilded. Uh, if you were, uh, let's say you, I guess if you had means, you were automatically an officer probably. Uh, there probably weren't many sons of you know very, very rich men who were, were not officers, and then uh, could, th- could those guys also bail themselves out? But it was different. It was it was different, Tom. It, it, the thing is, with Washington's Immortals, we, we bring out sort of the grainier side of the war, where in some cases the rich guy, if you wanted to, could hire a substitute. That's right to get out of 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 service. And then there were others, many many others, that did uh, volunteer and serve, but they had to have some leadership capability, like John Eager Howard, in order to. You had to raise your own men. Yeah. So you had to have some, you had to have some ability, <laughs> right? You, right. In most cases. Now your um, advanced press of this book started kind of a viral firestorm about the mystery of where these men are buried in Brooklyn. Has anything come of that? Has there been? Because uh, I'm, I am right now stating there needs to be a History Channel documentary or some sort of documentary where where Patrick K. O'Donnell and some other experts track down where this is and definitively come up with an answer on that. Well, I'm, my main goal was to raise awareness of the issue. And now there's been a groundswell of interest in that, in the issue. And, and I'm hoping that it does get resolved. And, 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 in the, you know, I mean, Washington's Immortal starts with a mystery, the mystery of this mass grave, and what, where are they? Where are the bodies of these men? And it's, it's a national disgrace. The men that saved America are buried under a payment, you know, under a concrete slab somewhere in residential Brooklyn. There needs to be something done, especially if you can find um, American Marines that are on Tarawa, you know, 60 years, you know, almost 70 years later after the war, we, you think we can do it here in the United States somehow. And my, my goal, the reason why I wrote, wrote Washington's Immortals was to raise people's awareness to this issue and hopefully get this, the, the, the mystery solved. Right. Well, so- and I'd like to see the land bought in a memor- in a large, some sort of a memorial or a park or something uh, to the men. Right. Right. Well, uh, it seems like the 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 principles of the American Revolution and sort of the fact that that's the war we fought here uh, to establish the country, you know, and the fact that these guys, as you said, uh, as we began, they were traitors. They were they were going to be facing, if not death, you know, incredible hardship if they were discovered in you know being complicit in this revolution. Uh, it's it's really, I think, uh, time to start really going back and and delving into it. The personal stories that you've told in this. I mean, uh, all of your books take 
take that untold historical story and then I really have to say it, they put you there in that time and place. Uh, the writing is incredible. How do people get this book? The book is available um, everywhere. Um, the 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 book publishes has has been out for for a couple for a week or two, and our, even before our official pub date of March one, it's been a bestseller on Amazon.com. You can read all the reviews up there. There's a ton of them. The book is in the the New History Bay and the New Arrivals table at Barnes and Noble, and then in independent bookstores and Books a Million, etc. It's Amazon. pretty much everywhere around the country. Amazon's a great place to go. You can just download it on your Kindle. If you and, uh, see Patrick walking down read the street. The, or read a sample chapter. Follow Patrick if you see him walking down the street because he's probably going to a bookstore for an appearance or something, and they'll have the book. Uh, I'd buy it just for the cover. It's another one of the great Patrick K. O'Donnell book covers that I want to see made into movie posters and have on my wall. They're all awesome. Uh, I've got a few reviews of the books here. The book here, uh, it's a who's who, uh, best book on the revolutionary war I've ever read. George Washington. Uh, I was there and even I learned new things. Mordecai Gist. And then I, I swooned at the tales of romance. Betsy Ross. So you've got quite a few people here. No, seriously, the, the, uh, the people that have weighed in on the quality of this book and the uniqueness of the tale is just pretty spectacular pretty uh, much every major historian on the american revolution has endorsed or blurb the book and then we've had just tremendous reviews everything from the associated press to um the journal of the american revolution which is extremely prestigious um that puts out the most obscure stuff they they absolutely gave it an incredible endorsement and incredible review and I'm just just pleased that the book is out there and that we're telling their story and that I they get more people interested in, in in the founding of this country and what you know who we are as Americans. Well, you should be pleased. It's another incredible effort. I'm I'm in awe every time you do one of these things. It's uh, it's just amazing. What's next for Patrick K. O'Donnell? I'm gonna. Uh... I'm not going to be able to tell you the exact type of book, but it's to say I'm going to do a book on the uh, on World War One, and then I'm going to do another book on the American Revolution, and I'm excited about both of them, and they're both untold stories that tell a larger story, which is typical of of every one of the books that I've written. They they they're personal. They're 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 about the human side of of what of adversity and what people have to do to overcome overwhelming odds and um they're just they're for me i love doing what i do i it's not uh been work at all it's it's a journey it's been an adventure for 17 years i haven't i would say that i haven't worked in 17 years <laughs> <laughs> even though i put lots of time into what i do it's it's been it's been fun. It's been an adventure, and I, you know, I, I go different places. I find different things. I walk all the battlefields and of where the men um, and women of the American Revolution fought, or 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 had some sort of a, an aspect of the book. And it's just been an incredible journey. 
Well, your devotion to it is evident in the the that product. Uh, it's uh, uh, as you know, I'm I'm a big 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 fan of what you do. I I keep saying it. Not only are the stories and the information stuff you have never heard, never ever been mentioned, uh, completely new, unearthed documentation and and what have you. The actual writing of these books, and I'm a real snob about that because uh, I, I write myself, is uh, the best uh, that, that I've read ever in military history. And, and uh, so um, awesome job. High five yourself. Thanks, Tom, for the, uh, the accolades. I appreciate that. It's just, you know, the story's the story for me. It's just the fact that you're able, we're able to sort of tell in their own words, in many cases, the story of these remarkable men and women. Thanks again. I hope to have you back soon. Definitely. Uh, anytime, Tom. The following is a public service announcement from The Tom Gully Show. Due to recent events, we are compelled to pass along this warning for listeners of The Tom Gully Show. Tragically, over the past few weeks, a pattern of alarming occurrences has befallen listeners who have failed to support the program via social media. For example, a Margaret D. from Indianapolis was struck down with chronic incurable sudden flatulence after ignoring an opportunity to like the Tom Gully Show Facebook page. Similarly, a Chuck L. of Richardson, Texas, was horrified to find that a sphincter opening had replaced his mouth after plagiarizing a Twitter posting from the show. A Marjorie H. of Tuscaloosa, Alabama, passed on a chance to join the TomGullyShow.com via Google+, and her dog, Mimsy, subsequently exploded. And both Zachary J. and Ted R. of Doylestown, Pennsylvania, sent nasty emails to Tom at the TomGullyShow.com and subsequently saw their genitalia blacken, shrivel, and fall off in the shower. Don't let this happen to you. Like the Tom Gully Show on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at Atomic Palooka, and join and subscribe with links at thetomgullyshow.com. Email the program via tom at thetomgullyshow.com, and when you do, good things will happen. Thank you. The preceding has been a public service announcement from the Tom Gully Show. like to thank the incredibly talented Patrick K. O'Donnell for being on the program. You can get his new book, Washington's Immortals, on Amazon or at fine booksellers everywhere. He's actually got a speaking tour, so you could actually try and catch him on that and have him sign it. And you'd be happy that you did. You should probably buy every single book he has available. Uh, they're, they're probably all the best book of its kind that you've ever read. In my opinion, He's not just the best 
history writer right now. He's not just the best military guy. He's not just the best elite combat guy. He's one of the best American writers, regardless of subject matter, that is uh, practicing today. So um, anyway, I wish I had time to just share all the Internet fiascos we've had lately. Too many to list except to say Corey Sklar. Corey Sklar, you're really bad at this. Uh, long story. Folks, we'd really appreciate it if you'd share this on your various Facebook pages. Trying to spread the word means trying to spread our little show here. Um, starting to get a lot of email about this part of the show. So I'll try and figure out something productive to do with it. We'd appreciate it if you'd like the Tom Gully Show. Not me, but the show on Facebook, too, if the mood strikes you. And, of course, there's always the TomGullyShow.com. That's where you can find everything about the show. There's the Tom Gully Show store where you can find top quality name brand items at um, retail prices. Um, and we always encourage you to subscribe on iTunes for free because if it's free, it's for me. You can also subscribe by RSS feed or by email. Lots of people enjoy the email subscription. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Atomic Palooka as well so I can increase my clout and cred ratings because if I get enough points, we're all going to go to the aces. That'll do it for tonight. I'm out of here. I got to go talk to some people. I'll talk to you much later. Each night, Jay Johnson, the great Jay Johnson, brings us in with the truth wagon, and each night we take you out with Russell Alexander and the Hitman Blues Band and the Catch-22 Blues because that is, in fact, how we roll. And we will see you next time. Well, the bug can't lift a twig for a dog that's nothing big, but he don't want to. And the dog can't grab a cat or a coon can do all that, but he don't want to. And I dream of you at night while you hold your baby tight. But he don't want you You can see it in his eyes From the way he tells you lies He don't want you